What's up, Hyperfast Nation? On this episode of the podcast, I sat down and had an amazing discussion with a superwoman. She is a marathon runner, a mom, runs an amazing brokerage and real estate team, is a huge advocate for realtors and the community and teaches people how to become advocates for everyone in the community. Just an all-around great and powerful person. Welcome to the show, Lee Brown. Welcome to the show, Lee. How are you doing today? I'm fantastic, Dan. It's wonderful to be with you today. Yeah, I'm, I'm looking forward to it. I know you've got a lot of great stuff to tell our listeners about things we don't normally talk about, actually. So before we dive into that, though, why don't you tell people out there who are listening and watching a little bit about your background? I am Lee Brown, and that's Lee like the jeans that your mom wore that were pleated, if you're wondering how you pronounce L-E-I-G-H, and I'm a realtor in Concord, North Carolina, just outside of Charlotte. I've been in the real estate business for 21 years, so my business is officially old enough to drink. I'm super excited <laughs> about that, and I own a small boutique brokerage. I also still actively list and sell, although I am actively recruiting agents so I can stop that part of the business. But it gives me a lot of different hats that I wear in living through real estate. I'm the daughter of a realtor and the granddaughter of a custom builder. So essentially, I know way too much about real estate. And in 2021, when you and I are recording this episode, I am the vice president of the National Association of Realtors for Advocacy. So I'm also a political nerd when it comes to real estate and housing policy issues. Well, that's that's amazing. So you, you are in the real estate uh profession through and through like th third generation basically yes and the funniest thing ever my granddad used to walk into these production built houses the ones that well when we could get lumber we could throw them up in 90 days and of course that's kind of a pipe dream now but he <laughs> would walk through with his carpenter square and he would walk into a corner and lay it down and start cussing because like it's not plum it's not plum Drove him crazy, but I got to tell you the coolest thing though, Dan, I got a call from some elderly people and I'm in the process of listing a house that he built in 1965. So it's really cool and they never updated it. So I'm truly seeing how my granddad built it in 1965. Oh, wow. That's, that's, that's pretty cool. Not, not many people can say like, I'm, I'm selling the house that my, my grandfather built for someone else. Exactly. To people who bought it from him and lived there all this time. So they've, That's why I love they've real estate. been there almost 60 years then, huh? Yes. Wow. Well, what, what a, what a cool thing. Yeah. That's hashtag things young people don't do anymore. Right. You and I would never stay in a house that long because we would miss out on the opportunity to experience what real estate can do from an investment perspective. But also we, we get antsy nowadays. I mean, your grandparents probably stayed still just as mine did. And 
just a different world now, but it's kind of nice to fall back into the Mad Men era and experience it. Yeah, my, my parents have been in the same house since 85 prior to my, um, my, my, my grandparents, I, I think, had like two homes that I, that I can remember. And um, yeah, Carrie and I, in like seven years of marriage, are like on our fifth one, I think. So um, that's, that's a lot of moving, but it does keep you from hoarding those. So there's an upside. Yeah, it there there's there's that and it's just i think i think different different generations are, are focused on different things and certainly you know moving a lot refinancing there's a lot of wealth building tools you can you can access uh you know other than just buying a home and staying in it for 50 years which is what people did you know and it's still one or two. it's still yeah. okay. there's just more expansive ways to look at it now and you know, frankly, if my grandparents were alive, they would probably be the most excited by some of these concepts like house hacking, right? So when they were in depression era, they would have loved to have the thought of house hacking. And a lot of people did rent a room back then, had borders, and maybe you'd have a, a new school teacher to town, but they didn't think of it as house hacking. And if it were part of the lexicon then as it is now, I think more people might have found their way into their first home sooner. What do you think? I think so, you know, as, as well, like my parents, certainly, I don't think when they bought, I think they bought their first home in like 1978. And I don't, I don't think this idea of renting out a room or if you go, if you go on a trip for a week, you know, you, you rent it out to someone else, like on Airbnb, like, like none of that stuff was, was as, as accessible or easily as accessible as it is today. So and they could have used it with 18, 19, 20% interest. We are so spoiled right now with what's essentially free money that it is totally a perspective changer when you take a look back 30, 40, 50 years and see how things have given us more opportunities now than our family did. Yeah, it's insane. I, I did a VA IRRL. That's always a hard one to say, but a VA interest rate reduction loan a couple months ago. And, and got the rate on that loan down to 2.25. And but the timing was, was good because it's gone up a little bit since then. But that, when I, when I looked at the amortization table, this is what shocked me the most. The first payment, more was going to principal than interest. That never happens. I've, yeah, I've never, you know, when I first got in the business, like the rule of thumb was like 20% maybe went to principal and, uh, then, then I saw it. you're never going to pay this <laughs> off. So just don't even look at the amortization table. <laughs> yeah, I was, uh, I was shocked that, and then I, I refied an investment property, got 2.75 and that one I'm, I'm paying a little bit more on interest. Um, than, but than it's an investment. Principal. Yeah. So, so somewhere between 2.25 and 2.75 is where, where you, you know, actually hit that mark, uh, on a 30 year which is just, crazy. Yeah, crazy to think about. And then like when my parents bought their home that they're still in in 85, like they, they, I think growing up with the depression mindset of that, that their parents taught them uh, plus the high interest rates, like they put every extra dollar they could just in, in paying off the loan because they probably started off in double digit rates on that loan and right. they paid off quickly. And they've never really even tapped the equity in that, which like to me is, I can't even 
like comprehend that but um you know different generations i think just had different opportunities and challenges and approach things differently well and they didn't swipe everything right they didn't have budget leaks for technology and they weren't going out to get their nails done and going out to eat all the time so spending habits have changed and maybe there's a reason that our generation is one of the more heavily leveraged generations that you've ever seen and for you and I, it's about real estate and real property. And for a lot of our peers, it's about stuff, which is part of what we'll talk about. And part of what you and I are focused on is helping people see beyond the stuff so that you can look at real property. But our parents had CDs as an investment tool. They had savings account, Christmas club, but they, they spent what they had and then they learned how to watch their budgets too. So money behaviors have changed as much or more as real estate's changed. Yeah. I think, I think that, you know, definitely getting into good debt, bad debt would, would certainly be something good to, to jump into uh, later on uh, during this, this show. Bef before we kind of jump off and really focus on the investment and, and changes, by the way, politically that, that might affect your investment approach, uh, can you, can you give listeners just a little bit more, uh, description on how your real estate team and brokerage is set up? Like, are you, are you recruiting, you know, individual agents or are the people at your brokerage, uh, just on, on your team or is there, there kind of two different channels there? What's, what's the makeup like of your brokerage, your sales team and, and all that? I call myself a hybrid. I've still got my team, which I formed in 2003. So in my first 20 years, I was a franchise owner. And then one year ago, right before the pandemic, I sold my shares in my franchise to another person in the market so that I could be a fully independent boutique firm. And my team came with me. But part of my dream of opening this firm was to create a space for other amazing realtors to land who are community advocates. So I'm very selective about who lands here. They are, it's not for everybody because I really don't want anybody here whose only goal in life is money. I want all of my agents to have the financial success that they're looking for, but I want them to be bigger community thinkers. And you and I both know that highly successful agents tend to be that anyway, but the agents whose number one conversation is money basically drive me batshit crazy. And so I can't deal with that. So the goal is to have a small-ish firm pretty fluid but currently I'm still a small team and as I did mention one of my dreams is to eventually just coach and do community building and education and not do the active day-to-day -day selling but because I'm fortunate enough to have been in forever my phone rings all the time and I want other people around me to absorb those phone calls because as you know with the listing supply so out of whack with demand every time we get a listing the phone is explosive well, that's what I've got to have team members around me for to provide that kind of service to the public that they demand. So in my volume right now, I, I've been as high as number one in the Charlotte market. But of course, I'm not a huge team. And that was in the era of smaller teams. Now it's an entirely different ballgame. And I'm cool with other people doing big, big things. I'm cool with who I am. We'll do somewhere around 45 to 50 million this year by the time it's all said and done. And my average over the last six years has been right around between 40 and 50 million is where I pop around high year of 75, a low of 32. So I call myself a, a medium sized team in the lexicon of today's real estate. But as you and I know, that's 
pretty high nationally just because so many agents never do systematize and creative business out of their real estate business, which is one thing I educate agents on when they come to my firm, whether they're joining my team or joining my office as an agent or a team to help them build a really strong financial foundation so that they can plan for retirement, plan for investing, and think about their money as a finite item so that they don't get caught with their pants down like I did during the Great Recession, because during 2007 to 13, worst time to be in real estate, and I didn't have nearly enough liquid. I couldn't take advantage of all the investment opportunities that came up. And so one of my goals is to make sure that any agent's life that I touch, I leave them with the tools that they can be ready to take advantage of those options. So my team currently is the, the Lee Brown team. I just added two agents. So I'm five agents plus me is six agents, one full time and two part time administrative pros. And we're fairly fluid, but one of my goals was to make it small enough that we would know the names of the clients who choose this team so we can definitely backstop each other, but to be large enough to have enough of us to provide top service when the phone rings. All right. So you've built uh, or gone from you know being a franchise owner to selling, selling that, building a, a, a boutique independent firm right now, and, and it looks you know, building up the sales team to, to service, you know, your clients that you've, you've had for decades and giving them amazing service. And then that the goal after that, I guess, is to just continue to, to coach and really, and build up great agents on your team and your, and the brokerage, right? Yes. And I mean, honestly, at some point my team will organically meld into the brokerage and I'll serve more as a team leader and coach for the brokerage. And I don't know when that happens. I think it has to be super organic so that everybody's cared for, but I may always keep a buyer or a seller here and there. Cause as you know, one of the frustrations in the real estate business are people who get out of production and then want to tell everybody how to do it. But then you hit a market condition like we have in March of 2021. If somebody's not in the trenches right now, they have no idea what we're going through because none of us have seen this many multiple offers, this many appraisal waivers and due diligence deposits and sight unseen and virtual people. And it's insane out there. So I want to remain yeah. open. We need, need more home builders uh, like, like your grandfather to, 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 to get more inventory. That's for sure. But so do you realize why real estate's gotten so expensive on the new construction side? It's one of the worst kept secrets in real estate. And it makes me really, really angry on a lot of different levels. The regulatory burden on new construction is insane. And I'll give you an example. Greenville, South Carolina, which is about two hours from me. It's one of the hottest cities in the Southeast they did all the revitalization of downtown, created pedestrian-friendly walking areas, commercial doing great, retail office, everything's booming. And a new construction house in Greenville at an average price of $375,000, which I know to you Northern Virginia, D.C. people is basically like somebody handing you free housing. But for $375,000, do you know how much of that is regulatory burden? Well, I'm going to estimate at least 15%, but I'm guessing. 
Okay, so that's like almost 30% or something. Yes, or a third. And this <laughs> in every market. So wherever you're listening to this podcast, you should call your Home Builders Association because they can tell you how much of a new build's burden is regulatory. And often we think of cost problems coming from high levels. You think it's labor. Well, labor is actually reasonable right now as long as we don't have this arbitrary minimum wage thing pushed through. And the cost of materials is high and growing higher. You cannot get your hands on a lumber package. Now we have issues with getting plastic for plumbing because of the Keystone pipeline getting shut down. Because one thing people forget is that petroleum products are involved in the production of plastic and plastic is our best resource for plumbing materials. I don't care if you like it or not, that's how things are made until one of y'all is inventive enough to replace petroleum, we need it. Well, that's driving up cost. And then of course the supply chain was broken during COVID. So you had pent up demand because the real estate sector was on fire while everything else was a broken supply chain. Well, your materials costs have gone up. So that's fine, take that into account. Now look at your municipality, what do you have? You got impact fees, you've got, in my county, they added a minor subdivision instead of just a major subdivision. A minor is any parcel of land cut into at least five houses. Well, what that impacts are like family compounds and we've all seen family compounds, you buy, 10 acres, you build a house for mom and dad, and then the two kids, and then the grandkid, so they can all live in community together. Well, when you are called a minor subdivision, now you're talking curb and gutter, you're talking stormwater and drainage and impermeable area. And so when you're looking at all of those factors, it drives the cost up. So we're looking at nationally an affordability situation. I mean, it's no different in your metroplex area than it is anywhere else, Dan, and you, you've seen it too. If we don't get that stuff under control, it's going to continue to spiral out. But the big picture says, oh, but these builders are greedy bastards. They're not greedy. They're trying to make a living for their families, too, and pay their suppliers and pay their workers. Because without a profit, why would they do this? So you start looking at how all these things are intertwined. And as realtors, we have to be paying better attention to the things that impact our day-to-day -day availability of product. And if you look at that situation there, all these fees locally, how many people can name their town council members? How can they name their county commission? Can you name your planning and zoning director? Most people can't. They can name their president, but the president doesn't impact your day-to-day -day life like your local elected officials do. But when you go to vote, you're like, ah, well, he sounds all right. Well, that, that might be a girl's name. Let's pick that one. They're just picking names out of the air. And we have to flip that script and start paying more attention locally and realize that D.C. should actually flow uphill from great local people. And we've gotten that backwards. I've, I've definitely come to realize, and, and hopefully many more people as well, over the last year that your, your governor, your mayor, your, your school all of that. Board that has a much greater impact on your life than the president. I mean, look at Fairfax County School Board. <laughs> they're not helping real estate values when they're playing games with education. And this is nonpartisan, right? This is as people who live in a community whose property taxes fund the schools, what in the name of heavens has been going on? But also that means those property taxpayers are saying, wait a minute, I think our elected officials forgot they work for us. And as realtors, the schools impact property values and that impacts 
the stability of neighborhoods over time, all of these things are interconnected. So I've, I've, I've heard you talk about advocacy, you know, here, these, these issues are talking about now and, and that these are the type of agents you want to recruit, hire and train. So uh, just taking that a step further, like what, what exactly, you know, in your mind, what exactly is the ideal role of a realtor in so you sound like you are being pulled into a thousand pieces do i sound okay to you oh, you sound good to me yeah um well i'll go ahead and talk and i think zoom will probably catch both of us we'll find out if we have to re-record or re-record so when i look at advocacy dan i look at it as a the holistic picture of a realtor. Your best realtors figure out from an early stage in their career that the sign in the yard is the after effect of the relationship. The buyer who goes under contract is the after effect of the relationship. So how do we build great relationships over time? We build them by being resources. So realtors start by being a resource on who's the best lender to call. Who's my home inspector? Do I need a survey? What is title insurance? And so we start our relationships by building a vertical in real estate that essentially turns us into the yellow pages of real estate, a reference for your young people to go Google. And so when you think about how we, we build that vertical, how do you go beyond that? Well, the longer you're in real estate, you get to know the builders and you get to know the people that are in the schools because either you've had kids in there or you've taken clients to go visit the administration and tour buildings. You get to know the road people just because your neighborhood gets impacted by the DOT and realtors love to talk to people. So you walk outside and talk to the supervisor and say, hey, what are y'all doing over here? And then we get to know other small businesses, you know, the coffee shop and you know, the person who runs the arts council, you get involved with nonprofits like Habitat for Humanity or the battered women's shelter. And so the more you do real estate, the more you get drawn into the peripheral areas that impact real estate, because all of those things do impact real estate is not just the for sale signs, it is Habitat, which helps people in our community have safe, affordable housing. That's not something we're going to sell because it's a different group. And the battered women's shelter is providing resources to people who need somewhere to go. And that's what realtors do. DOT, the road decisions matter. And you pay attention to the schools because again, the school zones and scores and all of that really impacts people's decision-making. So a realtor advocate is somebody who's decided to go a mile deep where they live. And in an area like yours, in an area like mine, we're in metro areas that are very sprawled out. So I always look at that as from Charlotte's perspective, I'm an hour from corner to corner. I have to know a lot about the area because if somebody's relocating to Charlotte with one of our new employers is Centene, you've never heard of them. They do IT for life insurance companies, not very exciting, but they're planting 6,000 jobs here. So when somebody comes here, Oh, oh, there's Charlotte, there's Huntersville, Matthews, Plate. what's Fort Mill? And then they start getting really distracted by the ring. Well, we have to be educated as realtors so that we can be a mile deep in the whole area, but you're going to know the radius around you the best. So when I'm hiring agents, I look for a set of characteristics. I'm not really looking for their sales volume. I can teach people the mechanics of real estate, but I cannot teach them to be decent humans. 
I can't teach them to be ethical. You are or you're not. I can't give you work ethic. You have it or you don't. I can't give you discipline. You have it or you don't. So I look for those characteristics first. And I believe that the right characteristics will give me somebody who wants to drink it in and learn every day. Because one thing that you and I have learned in being in real estate for some time is that you're always having to learn. There's always something new. There's something that shows up. The contracts change. The news hits the newspaper and you're like, okay, pivot, pivot, pivot. It's like that episode of Friends where Ross is hollering pivot. That's every day in real estate. I need agents that get it. And they never would come in here and say, oh, I've got this cold. No, 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 I don't have it cold and I've sold 4,000 houses. And so you, with your year and a half and 15 houses under your belt, you don't have it either. I want the person who says, oh, oh, I want a new idea. Oh, did you hear about this? Oh, I read this book. Oh, can I read what you're reading? I love people who are excited to go above and beyond because then what they do, Dan, is they do that where they live. They go to the habitat and say, how do I come out to a build site? And then they show up and they're enthusiastic and they apply the work ethic and the ethics and the discipline and all of that passion to the nonprofit to where people around say, well, what do you do? And my agent says, I'm a realtor. And they're like, well, daggone, you're the kind of realtor I want because we're in a really crowded competitive space. There's an amazing way for people to set themselves apart just by figuring out where their passions lie and by aligning with people who share those passions in that culture. So you're looking for people that will build the entire community up, not not just necessarily their, their buyer and seller clients. Well, if they're crafty and smart about it, you start to realize that the more you do for other people, the more it comes back to you. It's the whole concept of abundance versus scarcity. And too many realtors have a scarcity mindset. They're thinking, there's no there's no inventory. And I see it on Instagram and Facebook all the time. It drives me crazy. The agent's like, there's nothing to sell. And yeah, there <laughs> is. Look in the MLS. Something got listed today, but you didn't list it. Something contracted today and you didn't contract it. So maybe the problem is you. Because you're always having to do outreach. And that's what a community-focused advocate agent does. You're out there taking care of your community and you're in front having conversations, the business flows from that. My dad taught me that on day one in the business. And he told me every day until he retired, if you take care of people the right way first, the money will find you. He was always about people first and money will find you. You and I both know there's a lot of brokers in the business and a lot of practicing agents in the business who are money first. And they're crazy because the consumer can smell it. We call it commission breath. You may call it the same thing, but they know when you walk in that you need the money and they think, mm, I'm not sure about that. Same way we feel when you get into a bad car dealership or you go to any store where they're too aggressive and you're like, you know what? I don't even want to buy anything from you now. Yeah, I, I agree. If you, if you approach it with how am I going to solve this person's problem, this buyer's problem, this seller's problem, how, how do I solve that? How do I provide the solution? Then, you know, the money comes, the good experience with that client comes, which is going to bring more clients. So I, that's I, the I, least expensive marketing you can do anyway is great word of mouth. It just requires you to be all in for the people you serve. What, what are you doing now to teach your agents how to build wealth and, and how to teach their clients how to build wealth? I know we talked earlier about good debt and bad debt and there's some new changes coming down the road potentially that might affect uh, 
you know, investors and, and your overall strategy, but what, how do you, how do you teach your agents how to build wealth? Cause I feel like a lot of really great real estate agents aren't good at building their own wealth. Dude, they're awful. They don't know what's in their <laughs> bank account. I mean, they ish their money. How many agents have you seen? They're like, I got a check coming in for eight grand. So I'm going to buy this marketing plan for 10. And then they sell the house and I go, shit, I spent 10 and made eight. Let me go sell another one. And they make 12. It's like, great. I'm going to spend 15 because I'm on a roll. And they wind up never getting above water because realtors by their nature are very optimistic and that's fine. But you have to learn how to manage your money. I like to refer to money as a wild teenager. And if you don't put boundaries on wild teenagers, they just get wilder and they sneak out the window at night on the back of a Harley. And that's really just not what you want. Although it's probably not Harley. It's probably like a Honda. So they're going to sneak off on the back of a Honda with a Marlboro hanging out. And that's not good for you long-term. So the first thing I teach my agents is they need four bank accounts. This is the number one thing I teach. Go to a local bank, a community bank, a credit union where they'll open up as many accounts as you want. You need four accounts. And so we have a business account, a personal account, a tax account, and a tithe account. And if they're not believers, then that could be the nonprofit account, the give back account. So of those four accounts, you've got 40%, 30%, 20%, and 10%. So now they got four accounts when they get a commission check and we'll use 10,000 for a round number because I'm a realtor, 4,000 goes in here, 3,000 in here, 2,000 in here, 1,000 in here. I want to train them from the very beginning that your business has to have guardrails because everybody wants your money and realtors are easy targets for vanity advertising, vanity being the drugstore pharmacy bags. I mean, are you for real? <laughs> Show me the realtor who's ever gotten business from being on the pharmacy bag when somebody doesn't feel well. What are you doing? Your face at the grocery store. All right. So that's getting covered by my pocketbook. Why are you advertising there? And then so you can put guardrails on it. Now you're going to think about your spending. That's half the battle, right? Thinking about your spending. 30% is personal. Why do we keep it so low when you're in a high cost market? Well, you find a way to keep your cost of living low because we're in an uncertain climate. We're in an uncertain profession. There is no guarantee on your income. So keep that in check. Think about your car. You don't need a new flashy car. Get a clean serviceable car. Now you don't want a hoopty, but you want something that's clean and decent and tells people that you're a good steward because that's half the message of a good realtor. I drive a Ford, by the way. It's a nice Ford, but I, I got the one that was the best deal at the dealership. 20% is your tax account. Realtors get in trouble with the IRS all the time. My first year in the business, I owed the IRS $19,000 because I didn't pay quarterlies. My dad, who watched it all happen, said, congratulations, you had a good year. And I was like, that's, that's your response, but isn't that the response in real estate? So I said, daddy, what do I do? And he said, figure it out. I love my dad. So I had to call the IRS and get on a payment plan. Do you know how many times you get a payment plan with the IRS? One. Ain't going down that road again. And spoiler alert, for those of y'all that have state taxes do as well, you always, if you have to choose, pay the state department of revenue first and then the IRS because there's actually more leniency from the IRS than your state DOR. So be smart about when you have to choose between Peter and Paul. So I've got that money set aside. And then the 10%, this is hard for agents when they're in the roller coaster of commission. I, I don't know if we're gonna have any more money. I'll give some away next time. All right, so that's scarcity thinking. And so if you start to cling to your money and hold it really, really tightly, 
you can't breathe. Just like when you used to try and catch lightning bugs. You remember catching those as a kid. Oh, if you yeah. put it in here and it can't breathe, what happens to that lightning bug? It's dead. But if you put that lightning bug in a nice mason jar and put lots of holes in the lid. holes in the top. Yep. The breath, look, you're like, yeah, it can breathe. It can see. It can grow. Not for long, but you know, that's probably not a great analogy, but it's close. So you think about this, that 10%, oh my gosh, when you start putting the first 10% of your money back out, whether it's through your church or your synagogue or your temple or a nonprofit, the returns are so scalable. It's crazy. And you won't believe me until you do this. And those of y'all that do it, you know, I'm right. And you are nodding along with me because it's magical and you can't forget that because if you give when you have something left you're never going to have anything left so that's what i teach my agents from day one so then they start to learn how to become good allocators of dollars well now they get to the end of year two because it takes about two years as you know to start getting some financial footing in place well i'm not spending all of my 40 percent. what do i do well if you want to grow your business plow more into marketing but if you're in a good maintenance place and you like where you are, well, now let's think about what we can do with investing next. And then we talk about the options in the market. Well, if you're in a high cost market, where do we know a great realtor somewhere who can talk to us about a duplex in their market, Alabama, Iowa, Texas, if you can buy a duplex in a taxable location that's not going to eat you alive, let's go find that option. Is it Airbnb or also, you know, short-term rentals. Those are amazing. Go get a cabin in Gatlinburg in this great Smoky Mountains. So you start thinking about what options you may have and you get there when you have something liquid to play with. And the reason I mentioned before my frustration during the great recession, Dan, is that the so many opportunities, oh my God, the flips, the foreclosures, the short sales I could have bought for a steal. I didn't have anything liquid to play with because I hadn't planned for it. I have a liquid bucket now. I'm currently in the middle of a flip, which is going to add to my liquidity. I'm going to take the proceeds and sit on them because I know we're heading into some uncertain times. I want to be prepared for that. And so you also have to have the mindset of, all right, I might not be able to ride the market all the way up. I might be taking my gains off a little bit soon, but it's better to have something liquid and try and time the market because that's not possible. And so you go back to all of this, it's mindset, right? It's that abundant mindset of, I can allocate my dollars, I can save, I can build a liquid bucket so that I can make great decisions. That's financial freedom. And then when you get to the point a few years from now where you've built up even a small real estate empire, you're gonna have what we call mailbox money where you get to wake up in the morning and say, well, the checks are hitting my account. I can choose whether I work today or not. And frankly, if you've got those advocate work ethics and those descriptors you're probably going to work anyway but it's not because you have to it's because you can and you get to and you love it well i, I love that mindset and i love the overall strategy because you know you, you hit on everything like being smart about how you spend your money but also having an abundant mindset and growing it i think too many times people get kind of stuck in one bucket or the other and and you know if, if you can do both you're you're really gonna maximize your, your chances at getting that mailbox money. Well, and how often do we build excuses in, right? There's the excuse of, I don't know what I'm doing. All right, so then you go get the education. We can solve that. The excuse of my market's too expensive. Okay, that's why you network with other agents around the country and you go find people who are 
ethical and reputable and experienced who can guide you in their marketplace and they'll have a team in place that mile deep team they've got property managers and tax advisors and maintenance guys that can help you so you start figuring out how you overcome your own objections the same thing we do in our real estate business you walk into the seller's house and it looks like 1967 you're thinking um this is more than a carpet allowance but they don't have the money you have a solution they say, well, I don't have the time. You have a solution. You've done that for your real estate business. You have to put yourself in the mindset of creating that for yourself as a real estate investor. And my goal is to add one property a year to my portfolio. When you start thinking in terms of, I'm going to buy one property a year, you start looking for the one property. And not I'm gonna try to, or I hope I will, because that's limiting language. It's I'm going to buy a property this year. So my flip that I'm working on right now, that's my one property for this year. Now, if I do anything else, that's gravy, but I'll have checked off my list, my one thing for this year. You have to put yourself in that space because the only way you're gonna accomplish it is to make it a goal, write it down and speak it into existence. And it's amazing what happens when you do. No, I, I agree. You, you have to give your goals uh, a timeline, write them down and, and actually you know, take action. Like, and it's like anything I know, I know you run, uh, you're a runner. So like, you can't just say, I'm going to, I'm going to do a marathon or, or a 10 K or whatever it is. Like you actually have to like pick a race and sign up for it and, and, um, and pay for it. Right. That's, that's, you pay a hundred bucks to run a marathon. You're going to probably get up and run because I'm like, I ain't letting my hundred bucks get away from me. But how many realtors walk away from free education? And it's so fascinating to me. They'll walk away from great podcasts like this one. They'll walk past great rooms on Clubhouse. They'll ignore other people's advice because it's not coming at a cost, but there's always a cost. So if you look back at your life, how many of us were like, ah, I should have bought my first house sooner. Ah, should have done this. Ah, should have done that. So just go ahead and suck it up and do it. I mean, the, it, everything's out there. And the thing I love about real estate, there's so many people in this business who live to give back. They live to educate. They'll tell you everything they've done right, everything they've done wrong. All you have to do is be the vessel to take it in. That's it. What are some of the changes that you think might be coming down the pipeline that you think this should be on the, on the lookout for, or, or maybe that would you know, make you take a different action in terms of your investment properties. Well, let me get my fan out for a minute here. <laughs> I am, I'm a little verklempt about it because there's some really negative things coming down the pipeline. And if you think about the why, all right, so always elevate yourself out of whatever R&D status you're in and get up to the why. When you look at why we're going to see massive tax changes, it's mainly because of what happened during the COVID era with all the shutdowns. The government in D.C., they, what do they do when things are out of control? They just, they just write checks. Let's just print money because they don't really have, well, there's no brain power. Let's just be honest. So we need to have better educated officials, just period, period. Okay. So they're printing money. They don't know what to do. Well, now the revenues are off. Why? Because people haven't worked. They're not paying their income taxes. We're not seeing corporate taxes come in. So they're going to try and make it up. Well, where do government officials like to make it up first? Real estate. Why? Because you people keep posting on Instagram and Facebook how you're multi-million dollar producers and you sold a thousand houses this week. Would you please stop that? Because your elected officials think all of you are made 
out of money. Literally, they think you are Scrooge McDuck swimming around in a bathtub. Plus, they watch Million Dollar Agent on HGTV. And so the messaging you're putting out there is giving a really incorrect message because the money that you make is not even all yours. You've got splits, you've got taxes and marketing fees and MLS dues and association fees, and you've, you've got money going out. But anyway, they're going to try and make up the lost revenue somewhere they start with real estate. So there's two things that are on the front burner. Now I say front burner because as the National Association of Realtors, we are actively involved in the conversations on both of these topics. However, they're both such hot topics in DC with bureaucrats and elected officials. We might not be able to win every battle right now. And that's one of my concerns is that you can't always win every battle. So you gotta, as we say, pick which hill to die on. One of the items that's really at risk is the 1031 exchange. If you're not familiar with the 1031, it was created in the tax laws to allow you as an investor to take the gains from property A and invest them in property B. You're not avoiding taxes, you're deferring taxes. And so your capital gains are then deferred until you stop rolling your properties up. It is an amazing tool and it's primarily used by mom and pop investors and small businesses. I'm a mom and pop investor. Well, I'm a mom investor. So I sold a single family house in November that I bought in 2000. And the reason I sold it, when I do believe you should hold on to real estate, that one I sold because it was too high for the neighborhood. And there's just that moment where you're like, this market is stupid and that doesn't make any sense. One car garage, weird floor plan, sell it. So I sold that one house and I bought an eight plex. So I took one door and turned it into eight doors. I took the money and moved it over. I didn't pay taxes today. I'll pay taxes later. And that's what you have to remember when people are attacking the 1031, they say, well, they're avoiding taxes. No, that investor is staying invested in real estate. And I look at it this way. The eight plagues that I bought, those are far lower rents than were on my single family house. So I look at this as a way to be a part of the solution as a housing provider in a lower rent price point, which is where we desperately need inventory. And mine are going to be cute little nice ones. And I will put LVP in, luxury vinyl plank, so I can take pet deposits. And I'll make sure that I can make those in excellent living condition. But if there were no 1031, I would not have sold my house. I'm not going to pay capital gains because that would be stupid of me. That's giving my money to the government when they did not take the risk and they did not earn it. And so if you're in favor of capital gains, I just got to ask you, who took the risk? Because that's what you're, you're answering there. I held that property, took care of it forever. I want to appreciate and take advantage of the appreciation while I stay invested in the market. So that is at risk. If we lose the 1031, understand this is a big, big hot topic item. What's going to happen is the commercial market is going to go on ice because the bulk of the people using the 1031 exchange are commercial property owners have an auto body shop and he's expanded and he wants to go buy another building or add more bays, well, he won't do it. Well, if he doesn't go from two bays to four bays, he's also not adding jobs. And so the commercial market, when it hits ice, it's not just real estate, it's also the workforce that gets impacted. And I get very concerned about the fact that we, we do have such a media-driven image of everything in America right now. And we forget that the bulk of what happens is you and your neighbors and what happens on not the main drag, but the secondary drag where the 
upholstery shop is and the tax account it has a place and the nail tech is. So you think about those pictures. That's one thing that we're fighting for. So what does that mean today? It means I'm talking to my investors. If you were thinking of making a change and taking your property next level, now's the time to do it because a 1031 may go away. And so if you really want to go from one door to eight doors, let's do it right now. It's not to cast fear into the market. And so be careful how you word things with folks, but it's about education. And when you start telling your neighbors that you're paying that kind of attention to the market, it elevates who you are as a realtor because you are being their advocate. Nobody else told them about it. I mean, let's think about it. The mainstream media has talked about what for two weeks? Stupid Harry and Meghan and Oprah. And that's not. Oh, yeah. <laughs> but 1031 is not a sexy topic because it doesn't apply to everyone and it's not salacious. So if you're a great realtor, you lean into the non-sexy things that impact your neighbors and impact their financial foundation too. The second thing that we are very concerned about is the capital gains rate, which currently we have the long-term rate and then there's the regular income rate. If you are accustomed to buying and selling stocks, you know that the short-term rate is when you've held something 18 months or less and you're gonna be taxed at your income rate. So if your income rate is 37%, that's what you pay in taxes. The long-term rate, after you've held something 18 months, you go down to the long-term cap gains rate, which would be around 18%. So if you've got a property that you're flipping and you wanna sell it, well, if I'm gonna pay 36%, why would I sell it? So then you put more of a damper on the supply side of the market and hello, what do we need in the market? Do we need more demand? No, we need more supply. So I talk to people about that and say, look, if your goal is to do something and not buy the next property, you just wanna sell it and take your gains and do something else, do it now while we have that in place. Again, it's not to advocate for fear, it's to educate people about what's happening so they can make their own decisions. And this is where great realtors separate themselves from the pack. When you're not in there saying, hey, you should sell, it's a hot market, nothing on the shelves, everything's flying off the shelves, multiple offers, you make great money. You go in the door and say, look, you've got an investment property, here's option A, here's option B, either way, I'm here. Because as your realtor, I wanna give you both sides of the coin, pros and cons, but you should know that most realtors can't even do that because they don't know as much as you've just learned sitting on this podcast. Yeah. I think it goes back to just being the, the solution provider, like, you know, give them the options. Like here's what it could look like if you hold on to it. You know, there's also these, this change to 1031 or cap gains coming, which, which can make selling it harder, you know, give, give people the option. I, I think if these, you know, if we start seeing more substantive uh, conversations in, in Congress about these two items, you, you could see like a flood of, sales as well like right before it goes into effect or so there's just yeah some weird dynamics at play for, for sure with this and i'm really glad that you said that because i have found that not enough realtors have relationships with their elected officials and you absolutely should because in your state house and in washington dc and sometimes on the local level because it depends on your local associations relationships in your town council county commission school board but on the state and national level they all know who the realtors are. When you make that phone call and you say, I'm a realtor and I'm your constituent, oh, you're going to get a call back because the elected officials out there know that each one of us touches a lot of people in the public. We touch a lot of votes. And so they want to hear from us. And so when you call 
and you can deliver a story. This is where you as a realtor can actually impact public policy. And I find that a lot of agents just don't know they have this power. You have a, an investor client who's just like me. They want to go move their money around. I just sold a 14 plex that is an investor moving his money from California to North Carolina. Why is he moving his money out of California? Because they have the worst legislative situation going on right now for landlords and tenants with no evictions and rent control. And it's the whole, it's just a hot mess. So he wants out. Well, he's buying here. So what did I do? Well, I called my congressman and I said, you need to know this is going on so that you can be a voice of reason to protect guys like that. In North Carolina, we shouldn't be punished by California's bad mistakes. And so you've got to protect us in DC. So I'm going to dinner with my congressman tonight and I've got my little sheet for him with the bullet points. Here's what the realtors are concerned about. I want you to pay attention to these things. Now you're thinking to yourself, well, my, my person knows all these things. They don't friends. Your elected officials have like 300 things on their plate. They are overwhelmed. Their staff is overwhelmed. But when you, the voter, can call them and say, hey, this is my client's story. Maybe you tell a story about a first-time buyer who's a veteran, who's having trouble getting a VA loan, because we all know VA loans have a devil of a time competing in today's highly, highly competitive market. And so you talk to your elected official about your poor veteran who can't get in a house. Now your elected official goes and pays attention to the VA. And that's where you get to have an impact. And it's not you trying to you know be a lobbyist or work the hallways you as a voter and as a business person you know things you need to lean into that knowledge and then remember that your elected officials work for you you don't work for them and they only know as much as they hear and if they only hear from lobbyists then they're missing the picture of your market and your zip code i i agree i think i think there's just so much more power that we have as realtors and and and, and you've been a powerful example, I, I think, in showing our, our listeners today how people can make more of an impact uh, for their clients, their community, and, and, and themselves, ultimately, like if, if they get educated on, on you know, investment issues, on advocacy issues. So I think there's, there's uh, just so much power that, that you can you can have you know if you follow Lee's advice so I encourage everyone to to do that uh, unfortunately we've got to wrap up soon but before before we do I always like to end with the hyper fast round if you're ready for a, a couple of quick rapid fire questions here Let's do it all right what's your biggest piece of advice to a new real estate agent you have a telephone. Did you know that it has contacts in it? Did you know that if you push this person's name, a phone number comes up? And if you push that number, it will call their voice. <gasps> Make outbound calls. Facebook, LinkedIn, Instagram, and text are not prospecting, period. End of discussion. I don't care if you're 24 years old and saying, Lee Brown, you're a Gen X. I'm a millennial. I'm going to tell you to shut it and pick up your phone because the voice is the most impactful thing you can put in front of somebody day to day. Boom. All right. What would you tell an experienced agent? You have a telephone. It's got contacts <laughs> in it. And if you hit the, I mean, honestly, Dan, you know, I'm not even joking here. The, the excuse for the experienced agent though is, but Lee, I have my past clients and I haven't called them. So I can't call them because I haven't called them and I definitely can't call them. That's all in your head. Cause friends, I hate to be the one to tell you, but 
they haven't thought about you in eight years either. And so when you call them, they have never said to me, Lee Brown, how dare you never have called me back all these years? You should have been checking in. That never happens. They're just like, oh my gosh, what is up, girl? And I'm like, yeah, how you doing? Here's your conversation. Hey, I'm sorry I haven't been a typical realtor and pestered the life out of you for eight years, but here I am. They will laugh. And when laughter happens, y'all, defensive walls come down. And then you can find out what's happening in their life. Spoiler alert, not every conversation goes to real estate. If it does, talk real estate. If it doesn't, be a human. All you did, though, was go top of mind. And that definitely has dividends. What's the biggest challenge you've ever had and how'd you overcome it? My biggest challenge is time management and organization, like most realtors. And so the way I've overcome it is this. I have a written calendar because I'm an old person and Google Calendar doesn't work for me. And I have a notebook where I write down ideas. And I now have a third notebook over here, which is one I use for Clubhouse, because every time I'm in Clubhouse, I am inundated with ideas. And if I don't write it down, it's gone. And then once it hits one of these two notebooks, the important things make it into my written calendar. And the secret for me in time management, every day at the end of my day, before I go to bed, I make tomorrow's list. And tomorrow's list is, first of all, the things I did not get done today. And I also look at my calendar and figure out what must happen tomorrow so that I can do check, 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 and feel a sense of forward motion. If you don't find a way to feel forward motion, friends, then you're going to start to feel like melting into the couch in your yoga pants and you'll watch Tiger King again. And that's not going to help your business. Yeah, I've noticed a, a lot of successful people write things down. They don't just rely on the, the, the tech. So there's there's something powerful that happens when you actually use a pen. And well, how much has gotten lost in your text, Dan? Like you're thinking, oh, shit, there's somebody I'm supposed to respond to. And you start going through your text and before you can find it, you have three new texts at the top. And what do we do? We squirrel back up and then they're just lost forever. So see it, write it down. What do you do when you're not doing real estate? I'm a runner. I always run in the morning because otherwise it won't happen. I love to cook. I started a cooking show by accident during the pandemic. And I'm now the official spokeswoman for Dixie Crystal Sugar. What, what? And I'm a mom, so I get to manage my two teenagers. So that's the bulk of my time outside of real estate is family and cooking and running, which is also family, family, and family. All right, last question. Where do you see yourself 10 years from now? Oprah will be gone, and it will be the Lee Brown Show, pretty sure. All right, well, I hope, I hope that happens. That would be exciting for <laughs> But I won't ever be on Jeffrey Epstein's flight list. Just, just put that out there. <laughs> I think I think that's the first time uh, his his name's come up on this on this show. So congratulations <laughs> for that. <laughs> All right, Dan. Salute the duck. See, we talk politics. We salute the duck because our reminder at the end of everything is that we live in the best country on earth. It was built on private property rights. And if you're listening to this, do you get it? You're a realtor and you have the opportunity to protect private property rights while you help your neighbors build generational wealth. It's a big deal. So don't you forget that when you leave this podcast, after you subscribe and leave your five stars, that this is your reminder to live here, love here, take care of your neighbors and think, realize real estate is so much bigger than the next sign you put in the yard. I agree with you wholeheartedly. Thank you for being on the show. If people want to get in touch with you or 
learn more about your your brokerage or your investment strategies? Like, what are some ways they can get in touch with you? They probably have to call me for investment strategies because I need to codify it and write it down. Let's be honest. Sometimes it just spews out and it's not written down, but most things are on video. You can find me on Instagram, YouTube, Facebook, anywhere. I'm at Lee Brown, L-E-I-G-H Brown. It's also my website. And frankly, when you Google me, there's going to be an Australian rugby player that comes up because he's a really <laughs> big deal. And I'm not him just for the record, but I'll be on at least page two. So don't confuse uh, Lee Brown with the rugby player, the, the the male rugby player from Australia. That's not her. One day he's going to retire, Dan, and then <laughs> I can take page one. That's what I'm waiting on. All right. Well, I'm. Uh, you know, when you replace Oprah, that that I think you'll you'll leap leap over him. So it's entirely possible. You know, I got to have dreams, right? All right. Well, thank you for being on the show to all of our listeners and viewers today. Thanks for tuning in. Make sure you. Leave that five-star review, share this with someone that could benefit, and we'll see you next time. Thank you for tuning in to this episode of the Hyper Fat Show. Subscribe to us if you want to make sure you get the latest and greatest Hyper Fat Shows. And remember, we love reviews. Reviews help us bring better and better guests and improve our shows. So give us the good, the bad, and the ugly. We hope you enjoyed the show, and we will see you next time. Hey, guys, thanks for sticking around to the end. I hope you enjoyed that video, and if you wanna see more, click right here. And if you want 100 real estate tips from my best-selling book, click right here to download them instantly. And if you're new to this channel, click below to subscribe and turn on post notifications so you don't miss out. And leave some comments about what you think on the videos.